Our scriptures this morning come from several different books, from Ephesians 4, chapters 1, Ephesians, let me start over again. Our scripture this morning comes from several different passages, First Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 7, John 17, verses 21 through 23, and 1 Peter 2, verses 4 and 5 and 9 and 10. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one with one another in love, either eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. I ask that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, and that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may pr proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is God's word. Good morning, all. Man, whoever said that, thank you. The rest of you take a clue from whoever that was. <clears throat> uh, good morning. Yeah, that's better. Uh, I'm Jonathan, one of the pastors here. We're continuing in this series on the Apostles' Creed. Uh, thanks, Maddie, for giving it a, a shout out earlier. We do hope that uh, if you have been gone, uh, and in and out uh, during the summer, uh, as most of us have been, uh, that you do get a chance to catch up where you need to and utilize this. I mentioned this even the first week, uh, that this would be an opportunity to learn ourselves, but also uh, have, uh, have doctrines, have teachings that the church believes that maybe we are a little less familiar with than others and that we would use uh, this as an opportunity to share our faith with those around us who are maybe confused about what it is that the church believes. 
Uh, and on the subject of confusion or the subject of debate uh, this morning, we've got these two phrases. We had to take them uh, for the sake of spacing out the series. We had to take them the same week. But I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. And uh, to be honest, a lot of us struggle with the word Catholic. So we'll get to that. Hopefully uh, can, can clarify that and make that make sense. But as we talked about last week... Uh, if the Holy Spirit, or Holy Spirit, depending on your, uh, your choice of... Actually, someone told me last night, uh, a friend of mine was telling me last night, he was asked this question. He said, uh, and the way he explained it was, I thought this was very helpful, if you're talking to him, you say Holy Spirit. If you're talking about him, you say the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so, if I could have just put it that way last week... That simply, it probably would have gone over much better. It might not have been as funny as what I said, but it was, it uh, it would have been would have been clearer. But anyway, if the Holy Spirit's the agent, if He's the applier of our salvation, it makes sense that belief in Him precedes the last few realities. If you look there in your worship folder, the Apostles' Creed's printed for you. I believe in the Holy Spirit, and then all of these things that are a result of His work. So it's very intentional the way that they put this together. As I said last week, God didn't design us to be alone, and the good news is we don't have to be, uh, which is why we come to the church, the communion of saints. The Father and the Son loved the church, and Jesus the Son has redeemed it, but it's the Spirit who actually creates it. You can read about that in the book of Acts. Um, By inducing faith... And it is in and through the church, through the church's ministry, through the church's fellowship, that personal salvation and new life ordinarily comes to be enjoyed and lived out. I referenced 1 Corinthians 12, uh, or Susan read it, because I read this week the Heidelberg Catechism, question 55, and I wanted to read it to you just because I thought it was helpful in terms of understanding the communion of saints. The question is, what do you understand by the communion of saints? The answer is, first, that believers, one and all, as members of the community, share in Christ and in all his treasures and gifts. So that's this vertical piece, right? Maddie alluded to that earlier in terms of, but now we get Christ because of Christ's work for us. Secondly, though, each member should consider it a duty to use these gifts readily and cheerfully for the service and enrichment of the other members. So there's the, there's the horizontal. And Paul gets to that in 1 Corinthians 12, very powerfully, I think. There's a variety of gifts. The same Spirit gives those gifts. Uh, There are a variety of activities. But to each, verse 7, is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So you can't come here and just come here. Church does not exist for you, for you to suck from it. But the church exists for you to come and give to it, okay? Uh, And that's hard for us as Americans because we're consumers by nature. Uh, But hopefully we get a little taste of that even this morning. If you look in your insert, uh, on one side of the scriptures, on the other side is the uh, outline. And we're going to walk through these three things this morning. There, There should have been a point of application at the bottom. That's my fault. I apologize. But first, our need, what is it about us that craves community? Uh, what are some artificial uh, communities that we, we, we get attracted to? Where do we often go to find it? 
and why is the church the only place where you can truly get it? Secondly, all are welcome. So what happens uh, as the gospel makes us one? How does believing in this word Catholic or Catholicity of the church reinforce the fact that we're one? Uh, and then thirdly, the character of the community uh, of the communion. How, how does the way we do life together reflect our following of Jesus? And then I want to make an application uh, with respect to community Bible reading um, at, uh, at the very end. So first, our need, okay? Do you know that one of the things, one of the stated goals of Starbucks is to insert itself into the American cultural landscape as a third place? Have you heard of this, a third place? Everybody has two places, typically, home and work, but they want to be your third place. Do you know what they mean by that? It's a gathering spot, a meeting spot, a place where they call your name when your drink is ready. Isn't that, but don't you like that, though? I think that's kind of cool. If you go through the drive-thru, you sort of miss it because you don't get the experience of going and then, you know, milling around at the other end of the bar and, you know, I've got a grande blah, 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 blah for Jonathan. I mean, they call your name. It's kind of neat. Why is that? Is there a significance to that? Is that just somebody made that up, a barista somewhere way back when? No, that's built into the culture of Starbucks. Why? Because they want you to feel known. They want you to feel apart. Because they know every human being wants to love and to be loved, wants to know and to be known. So... An illustration of this, uh, and, and, you know, a lot of times, uh, I know this from, from talking to Drew over the years, a, a lot of times as you're, as, you're, as you're preaching, and this has been the experience of me uh, more so this summer because I've had more opportunity to do it, but kind of what's fresh in your mind you end up using, right, or what you're experiencing. So I've been listening to, I finished it, it's the podcast called S-Town, which is short for a bad word, Okay. And you can listen to the podcast and it'll all make sense. But it's about this very strange guy, John B. McLemore, who, who calls uh, the radio or emails the radio uh, station or the radio company that does uh, a couple of podcasts or uh, radio shows, Serial in This American Life. And he says, there's a murder in my little town in Alabama and I, I want you guys to investigate it because everybody's corrupt here. And that takes the, the host on this long journey seven chapters of a podcast worth of a journey. But there was one episode in particular that really struck me that I listened to this last week because I just, I had to finish it because it's addicting. Uh, just a fair warning, it's, it's very addicting. But it was a podcast where he, he uh, and man, I, I, I really struggled with telling you all this because I don't want to do spoilers, but then I don't really care either. So, anyway, let me put it to you this way. The guy, John B. McLemore, uh, has a list of friends uh, that you'll, you'll learn more about if you go and listen to it. But the host begins to call these friends. None of these friends he had heard of as he interacted with him in the first couple of episodes. But as he begins to talk to these people, he learns this guy, as strange and odd and weird as he was, had some really, really deep abiding friendships and the way that these people talk about him, and not that he talked about them, but that they talked about him, really impacted the host. And it impacted me as I was thinking through just this need for community that even as weird and odd and strange and profanity-laced as this guy is, 
Go listen to it. He needed friends. He needed people in his life. He wanted to be known and to know other people. And there's a whole host of other things involved with him that it's just been really profound for me uh, this week. Let me repeat these words to you, and some of you may know them. It goes like this. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries, it sure would help a lot. If you're a little younger, you won't have any idea what I'm talking about. Wouldn't you like to get away? This is not Southwest. Okay? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name, and they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see the troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. You want to go where people know the people are all the same. You want to go where everybody knows your name. You know what I'm talking about? Cheers. Cheers, the bar. Okay? Or go listen to Billy Joel's song, The Piano Man, and the different stories that make up the the, the various verses of that song. And what you see is the experience that people are dying for that oftentimes they go to bars or other places. We all have a craving like that. Maybe the Elks Club, the Moose Lodge, the Veterans of Foreign Wars, Grove Roots. Good job, Joe Dunham, giving us a third place in Winter Haven. But it's great. He's tapping into something very real. That's why it's so crowded all the time. And obviously, our digital, social media-obsessed culture has masked some of this, but even... Even the always-on, everywhere presence of devices is reinforcing our craving. Uh, A book called Reclaiming Conversation, the author says this. I I wanted to quote her. Sherry Turkle is her name. She says, people avoid face-to-face conversation but are comforted by being in touch with people and sometimes with a lot of people who are emotionally kept at bay. It's part of the move from conversation to mere connection. And Turkle is arguing in her book for a return to the primacy of conversation. I'm not sure if she's a Christian. I have no idea. She doesn't indicate whether she is or isn't. But she's identifying a deficiency in the human experience that's made worse by the omnipresence of technology. Okay, And she knows intuitively because she's made in God's image and because she's interviewed thousands of other image bearers, most of them under the age of uh, 30 or 25, that we're designed for community that's present with us. Nevertheless, part of the reason we check to see how many likes we've gotten on a photo, some of you may have already done that in the last, since we've been in here, from something you did yesterday or today. Or do you know, if you're into Snapchatting, do you know what it's called? You know what someone's blank is on Snapchat? It's called their story that all these people are tapping into something that's very profound and powerful for humanity. They know what we need, but they're offering something artificially, and we're made for the reality. And the only place where we can find that, it's not the bar, it's the church. Although we could learn a thing or two from the bar, if I'm honest. Uh, The bar dispenses liquor, we dispense grace. Okay, The bar provides escape from reality, Although it's a place where everybody knows your name, and they're always glad you came, maybe because they've already had some before you got there, and so they forgot that they didn't like you, but that's part of the beauty of the bar, right? The, the, the bar is an accepting and inclusive fellowship. Well, so is the church. 
But the church loves you more than the bar because the church accepts you as you are but isn't willing to let you stay there. The church calls you through the gospel to a new life in Christ, to leave idols, to leave lesser loves, to leave the things that leave you empty, the things that promise a whole lot but never deliver. The gospel says we're all sinners, but the grace of God in Jesus Christ makes us righteous. And those two things coming together, those two realities are what unify us. And so let's look at that, the fact that, that all are welcome, okay? If the gospel creates belonging and true community, which is what this word or this phrase, communion of the saints, is really getting at, that assumes that prior to the gospel, we lived without it. We didn't have belonging and true community, okay? Again, might have been belonging in a sense, but, but there was something fake about it. There was something artificial uh, in there. Uh, and a lot of reasons for that we don't have time to, to get into. But prior to the gospel, we lived isolated and antagonistic. As Paul puts it in the assurance of pardon uh, that Maddie read earlier, we were far off, okay? Far off. But now, in Christ, we've been brought near by his blood. But we were far off. We were isolated, antagonistic. Now, where does that come from? Well, you go all the way back to page 3 of the Bible, uh, to the garden. Sin isolated the man and the woman from God and from one another. And in turn, it led to distrust of God and one another, hence their hiding. They blame-shifted. No, this woman you gave me. No, the serpent who you put there. Right? You remember all that? They start accusing one another. Well, one page later, just flip one page, and jealousy and envy lead to murder, which is antagonism turned violent. Okay? Cain and Abel. Cain slaying his brother. One creation of God tearing down another creation of God. But the, the gospel unites us. Well, how is that? Well, under the blood of Jesus. We read it earlier in Ephesians 2. Because Jesus conquered isolation. Because he experienced an isolation like no other when the Father turned his face away from him on the cross. He experienced all of our pent-up anxiety, or excuse me, antagonism against one another and ultimately against God when he drank the cup of the Father's wrath to the last drop. And in Jesus Christ, we can draw near. We get access in one spirit to the Father. In fact... The reference that Susan read from John 17, if you notice that uh, on your insert, Jesus asks the Father to make us, as in you and me, one. And he, and he asks to make you and me one, just as he and the Father and the Holy Spirit, too, are one. Now, I can tell you, I don't feel one with most of you like that. And that's a problem. Okay? That's due to my wonkiness and yours, okay? But, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't be striving for that. It doesn't mean we shouldn't be longing for that. He says, Jesus does, our unity testifies to his coming into the world and taking what is broken and far off and making it whole and putting it together and bringing us near, not just to him, but to one another, right? Again, we, we could learn something from cheers. We could. It was so successful as a show, it spun off this psychologist who moves back to his hometown, and they do that thing for like 12 or 13 more years. 
with the story of his life and all his wonky family and relationships and stuff. But we're hooked. Why? Because of the story of those people's lives. And we long for someone to know our story and be inside and involved in our story. I'm, I'm convinced, having listened all the way to the end of S-Town now, that that was part of what this guy emailed originally. He was lonely. He was lonely. As Paul begins chapter 4 of Ephesians, you'll notice it uh, there. It's in your uh, worship folder on the insert. He's first concerned that we recognize the impact that all the truth, all the doctrinal teaching that he has spent the first three chapters on should have on our life together. In fact, after chapter 1, 2, and 3, which is all doctrine and teaching and, and, and very kind of highfalutin language, and I mean, it's all powerful, but it's all, it's all doctrine. It's all theology, really rich. And he comes to chapter 4, and, and the whole of the chapter is a call to unity as the body of Christ and the impact that should have on our behavior toward one another. If you look at verses 4 through 6, okay, I'm jumping down. This is the first paragraph on the, the insert there. Uh, look at verses 4 through 6, okay? Now, look how many times you see the word one. How many times do you see that word? He says, there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and I would argue he's even saying one father. So I get to add a, the more to make my point here, okay? Eight times. Eight times he uses the word one, obviously. That's pretty significant. And what he's doing is he's spelling out the bond that we have as the body of Christ in verse 3, okay? He's spelling out this bond. As sinners, we're all bonded together by our idolatries, by our, our disordered love, all the God substitutes that we love to put in front of or ahead of him in our lives and in our hearts. We're all bonded together by that. But now in the gospel, Paul says, our sin of self-love has been overturned by a new bond, the bond of faith. And what we trusted in and attempted to accomplish ourselves, we now trust in Jesus to do. So what this does is it transforms our experience of the saints, right, from here, from just one meeting on Sundays, to a daily bond of interdependence and joy. So you need each other every single day. And hopefully I can make an argument for that at the very end with the community Bible reading. But we're now bonded by the peace won for us by Jesus and Jesus alone. And we expect... We expect, this is the important part, because everyone that is in is only in because of grace. This is when Presbyterians should probably say amen, okay? Everyone that is in is only in because of grace. If that's true, then who's welcome? Anyone, right? You want to go where people know the people are all the same, Man, they got something right there in a fictitious bar in Boston. But this is actually the real place where that's supposed to happen, where everybody can come and everybody will know the people are all the same. Everyone's welcome. Why is that? Because we're a society of failures. And because the communion of saints is a cradle of honesty, we can freely confess our guilt because we have freely received faith. It's why the Bible says confess your sins to one another. 
And when we forget that, we're in dangerous territory because our expectations get too high. We live disappointed. We live thinking we're surrounded by a community of sinners, first and foremost, or only, that should be acting more like the communion of saints. And so certain character qualities are necessary to keep us eager, verse 3 of Ephesians 4, eager to maintain unity. We have to fight for it. That's part of the, part of the point Paul is making. And more on how we do that uh, in, in just a minute with the character, uh, which is really where I want to, uh, to end. But a word about this word Catholic, okay? Um, some people won't even say that line of the Apostles' Creed because the word Catholic, unfortunately, has a lot of baggage with it. And it's the cause of a lot of debate and even confusion. And all the word means is universal. That's all the word means. Now, some you say, well, why not use the word universal? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church. Well, for one, it just sounds kind of, eh, I don't really, it doesn't really sound good. But I think that because the Apostles' Creed comes down to us from the Greek-speaking church of the first centuries, we've kept it. It's, it, was, it was in the Greek, we just translated it over to English, But here's the case I want to make for it and for keeping it and for using it. It's an important word because when you consider the unity of the church, a belief in the Catholicity of the church reinforces believing in one church. What do I mean by that? Well, the call to Catholicity is a call to stop picking on each other. It's a call to recognize our differences, our diversity across denominations, across traditions, across cultures, but not just to recognize them, to celebrate them. And as, as uh, Margaret Jones reminded us last week, there are different rooms in the body of Christ in which people are fellowshipping and, and doing their thing in. And have you ever gone to another room? Or, or are you too scared? Is it, I, I, I don't want to know what they do over there in that room. I've heard some strange noises coming out of that room. Listen, wherever Jesus Christ is lifted up as Lord, you have a Catholic church. Any church throughout the world that can recite the Apostles' Creed in good faith, we, Redeemer City Church, are united to them. Hence, we are a Catholic church. Now, what adjective am I leaving out? Roman Catholic Church. That's something separate. That's for another day, for another discussion, right? I'm simply referring to the term I believe in the holy Catholic church. Obviously, we believe that the church is holy. It's called to be separate. It's called to be different. But we're united across denominations, across traditions, across cultures to any church where the gospel is preached, where the sacraments are given, where mission to neighbors is happening. We are part of something larger than ourselves. It's why going to General Assembly for the Presbyterian Church in America each summer is so powerful because you go in and there's... 2,000 people in there worshiping uh, every night. It, it makes you think, gosh, I'm so small and I'm part of something much, much bigger than me. But imagine if the PCA and the Southern Baptist Convention and the, um, uh, the, the, uh, the Lutheran group, I can't think of the acronym right now, but anyway, what, how, how big of an auditorium, how big of a convention center would it take if they all got together? 
How cool would that be, right? If you've been to Promise Keepers or a Billy Graham crusade where they've filled up 60, 70, 80,000 people in one of those football stadiums, you've experienced a little bit of what I'm talking about. It's profound. It's amazing, right? The church is a worldwide body united by, go back to Ephesians 4, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, yet full of various expressions. And to say you believe this means that you watch very carefully the way you talk about other churches. Let me, let me be the first to put myself out there and say I have done a terrible, terrible job in the history of my life with this. We ought to believe the best rather than slander and assume the worst. I've done that. I, I, I think I did that this last week. Probably was in the middle of writing this. In fact, I can tell you, I did it yesterday. I was working on a sermon yesterday, and I went to some website of this church in New York City, oh, and I started watching this YouTube video about them, and I was judging so hard the whole time. Oh, th these people are, oh, I'm never going in their room, right? So we do it all the time. But instead, we should be regularly praying for other congregations in our city and in our worship service. Furthermore, we should be partnering with other denominations and ministries because we're stronger. We're stronger when we unite than when we exist separately. As Maddie said, we can be light rather than right. Do you prefer to be light? Or would you rather be right and say, only if, you, only if you're right like me can I have fellowship with you or have a discussion with you, a friendship with you, and so forth. So a question, a question for us that should prompt repentance and examination. Are you more eager to maintain unity or emphasize differences? Paul says that we should be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Eager. And that's what Jesus prayed for in John 17. So how does that happen? Look at the third and final piece here. How do we do that? Well, Paul tells us. Look at Ephesians 4, and all we're going to do is uh, finish with the second verse, okay? Paul says, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Then he describes the manner, and here it is. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Can you imagine a church full of people like that? I mean, some of you are like, I, I just love for my family to act like that, right? Or my kids, well, wouldn't that be great? But can you imagine a group of people who actually took that seriously? Well, what is that? What does that look like? And let me just say, uh, I think, and of course I'm biased, but I, 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 think, I think Redeemer over the last eight, nine years has really sought to do this. Have we, have we messed it up? Yes, many, many times. Uh, but there are a lot of stories where I, I think the people of God have exhibited these characteristics to one another. It's really, really beautiful to hear those stories. Well, what's he saying? What's he talking about? Humility. Literally, the word is loneliness. And in Paul's world, similar to ours, it prized strength as a virtue and humility as a weakness. But in Jesus Christ, God the Son, humbling himself in the ultimate strength through weakness, he made humility a virtue. And of course, the opposite of humility is what? is pride, right? C.S. Lewis called it the great sin. Pride encourages you to feel better about yourself and your church 
This was me yesterday watching that YouTube video by tearing someone else down. Oh, yeah, we, we don't do. What, what is that? What are they doing? Who is that guy? What? I mean, I was just, I'm tearing down left and right. But humility encourages us to not be defensive, to pursue weakness, to be okay with it being our fault, to not needing to seek to prove our worth, but it can only come by being humbled in the low place. But, but Jesus is there, so why are we so afraid of it? Hmm. Humility, lowliness, secondly, gentleness. This is the demeanor that flows from the disposition of humility. When you know you're not great, you're not so severe when you see the faults of others, are you? Man, that's so true. You long to listen to the other person, whether you disagree with them or not, right? How would that look in Charlottesville as opposed to what, what we've been seeing, right? Thirdly, patience, bearing with one another in love. The word for patience is long-suffering. In order to maintain the communion, union of the saints, patience is required. Extending grace, putting up with wrongs, believing the best, overlooking mistakes. Remember, we're a society of failures. If you've been here when we have received new members, what is the first membership vow? Do you acknowledge yourselves to be what? Pristine paragons of virtue. No. Do you acknowledge yourself to be sinners, right? So let me just encourage you, if you're thinking about doing the membership class this fall, you can expect to be sinned against if you come here. Just expect it. Don't be shocked by it. The question is, how do you respond to it? And how do we respond when, we, when we're the ones who do the sinning against you? You'll not be a person, who, person who's humble, who's gentle, who's patient, who bears with others unless you know, unless you've tasted, right? In the depths of your heart, Jesus has treated you with those same things. He's treated you with humility, with gentleness, with patience, bearing with you in love, and he still is. Without them, we don't get united to him or to the Father through the Spirit. And without them, we don't get to united, we don't get united to one another either. We remain isolated and antagonistic. And these characteristics make it possible to be eager. That's why Paul says it in verse 3. He says, I urge you to live in this manner, and this will produce an eagerness to maintain unity, right? In fact, the word union or unity is part of the word communion. It's part of the word community. Communion happens when two people are communing. The dictionary says, uh, the, the definition of communing is sharing thoughts or feelings in an intimate setting with a friend. Now, doesn't that sound good? I mean, for some of us, it may sound a little weird or a little uncomfortable, but I promise you it's, it's good. It can be fun. It can be life-giving. Uh, again, uh, so much of it occurred on the phone, so you get a lot of the recordings through that podcast, S-Town, of this host and the guy who's the subject of the podcast, hours and hours and hours of phone conversations, he was communing with him. He was sharing his thoughts and his feelings with a person who became a friend. So as I finish, one way I want to challenge you to apply this, one very real way in which we can practice being the communion of saints uh, is community Bible reading. And every word is intentional there. Community, we do it together, right? The Bible, well, it's our only rule of faith and practice. Reading, we're not talking about studying 
We're not talking about perusing, but we're talking about reading. We're talking about posturing ourselves under the word in order to hear from God every day. And if you're doing that and someone else just, man, they're having a bad day, man, they didn't get to it, and God fills you up, what do you have the opportunity to do? Fill them up where they are empty or where they need something. In fact, I would argue that to read the Bible without community is a waste of time. But then again, hanging out with Christians and not reading the scriptures is a waste of time too, right? You got to bring both of those things together so that we can encourage one another along the way. You will forget to be humble and gentle and patient and bearing with one another in love unless you're reading about the steadfast love of the Lord and being reminded of it every day. The goal of, C- of community Bible reading is that you would commune with God in his word, right? You would share your thoughts and feelings with him, but also that you would commune with others around it. And if you don't commune with him, you won't commune with others. And if you don't commune with others, you won't commune with him. Those two things reinforce one another so, so beautifully. So let me challenge us uh, as school begins and we kick off a new uh, ministry year to think about how uh, you can participate in that as you practice or as we practice together being the communion of saints. Uh, and, and let's be Catholic in the way that we view the church. Let's, let's celebrate the differences, the different representations, the different expressions that we see, even in our own community, and that that would in turn be a mechanism for us remaining humble and gentle and bearing with one another in love patiently. Let me pray that God would do that. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you, first of all, uh, for humbly coming and bearing our curse, uh, winning salvation for us, and in turn, now in you, we experience not just your humility, but your gentleness, your bearing with us, your patience with us, your long-suffering with us, and oh, how we long to be that way to one another. And we really do believe, you tell us it'll be true, but we really do believe that if we behave that way to one another, it would be something so radically different. Our city would, would look in as we're a window into that. They'd look in and they'd wonder, what's different? How do you do that? And we get to tell them, we get to tell them about the Father who loved the world and the Son who willingly gave himself to rescue the world and the Spirit who's changing the world. So, so come and, and, and do that, we pray. Make us a communion. Make us a communion of saints who's humble enough to realize we're still a community of sinners. Uh, but, but in addition to that, help us to, help us to celebrate. Help us to celebrate your church across this world, the universal church in all of its beauty, in all of its glory. It's your bride, Lord Jesus. You spilt your blood for her. May we love her as much as you do, and we pray in your name. Amen. And so as you go, receive these words. Uh, These are the words that, uh, as you go from here, to walk in that manner that Paul was describing, uh, the the promise that as you go, God goes with you. So he's going to equip you and empower you uh, to live in that way so that others might see, others might come, come to know him and come here, come to be a part of the communion of saints, uh, the Holy Catholic Church. So receive these words. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace.